Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. Each week we talk about heart rate variability and how it can be used to improve your overall health and wellness. Please consider the information in this podcast for your informational use and not medical advice. Please see your medical provider to apply any of the strategies outlined in this episode. Heart Rate Variability Podcast is a production of Optimal LLC and Optimal HRV. Check us out at OptimalHRV.com. Please enjoy the show. Welcome, friends, to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I am Matt Bennett, here to just do a quick introduction of Chapter 1 of the Heartbeat of Business. If you're new to the podcast, you have hit us right at the beginning of a series we're doing. You want to go back a couple episodes just so you're not lost as we are going through and looking at this book. Uh, we're going to follow up this week with a podcast with Ina and Dave, the co-authors of the Heartbeat of Business, really uh, taking a deeper dive into this. Just to introduce chapter one of the book, which you will hear right after I shut up here in a second, uh, we really look uh, uh, behind the science of heart rate variability, especially how it connects to medical health, how it connects to cognitive social health. You'll see a theme throughout the book start to emerge of that cognitive, social, emotional health that's so important at work. Obviously, we could throw in medical health because if you're sick, you're not going to bring your best self to your work as an individual. Obviously, as a leader, as a manager, uh, somebody sick all the time that's not there is not going to be able to really contribute what they need to the team as well. So we will take a look at the science. If you're familiar with heart rate variability, I really encourage you Keep, keep with us here. Uh, it's a fairly quick chapter. We tried to not get totally lost in the science, but I always find it a good review and uh, working with Dave and Ina on this chapter really pushed me as well. Uh, so please enjoy uh, the first chapter. Again, we will come back next week with Ina and Dave and process this and, and uh, talk about it. So enjoy. Chapter one, HRV and what it is measuring. The word heart gets thrown around a lot in the business world. We use heart to describe a resilient person going above and beyond for the company. A team might refer to a critical member as their heart and soul. The marketing department will use heart language or symbols to convince potential customers of their commitment to the environment, people's well-being, or other social efforts. Since human beings first started writing, they positioned the heart as the seat of wisdom, strength, compassion, and love. The development of modern neuroscience shifted this focus as it sought to explain emotions and intelligence by studying complex chemical changes in the brain. The heart got relegated to a supportive role supplying the brain with blood so it can do its magic. Research and technology now challenge the view of the heart as just a pump. It turns out that our ancestors' focus on the heart as the seat for human connection, emotion, and wisdom was not misplaced. There is, in fact, much more to a heartbeat than just a reassurance that the body is receiving the blood it needs to stay alive. As people learn to listen to the heart's messages, they find fascinating information on the heart and resiliency of minds and bodies, the wellness and productivity of the workforce, and the effectiveness of business practices. Why is variation healthy? The mathematical definition of HRV is the measurement of the differences in time between successive heartbeats over a set period. 
Many people believe that the heart beats consistently, like a musician's metronome helping to keep a steady beat. However, hundreds of years ago, people discovered slight variations in the rhythms of heartbeats, giving us the term heart rate variability. Heart rate measures the average number of heartbeats per minute. While a low resting heart rate is usually a measure of positive health, a higher degree of variability between beats over time demonstrates a higher level of cognitive, medical, mental, and social health and wellness. Simple math indicates that fewer heartbeats per minute provide a greater opportunity for the variation to occur. In most situations, a lower resting heart rate will correlate with a higher HRV. Initially, it might seem counterintuitive that variation or inconsistencies in human physiology correlate with health and wellness. In an age of machines and technology, people usually connect quality and performance with consistency and predictability. When a car, computer, or airplane operates in unpredictable ways, it results in anything from frustration to loss of life. In contrast, biology and psychology need the flexibility to adapt to changes in the environment and within the body. Heart rate variation is an indicator of that flexibility. No one exists in a vacuum. People's environments change throughout the day, challenging them to adjust to stress, social situations, intellectual challenges, and physical activities to survive and thrive. Similarly, biological systems adapt to digest food, fight viruses, and sleep. Physical, psychological, relational, and intellectual success depend on our ability to respond to changing demands and tasks throughout the day. Stress, homeostasis, and HRV. The greater capacity people have for flexibility, the better they maintain homeostasis. Homeostasis is the body's ability to adjust, matching internal states to the demands of the environment. Primarily an unconscious activity, the ability to maintain homeostasis provides the physical energy, emotional regulation, and cognitive ability to succeed at work and in life. HRV measures a person's ability to maintain homeostasis as external or internal demands change. Stress results from disruptions of homeostasis, requiring a physical, emotional, or cognitive response. This response creates a new internal state to match the demands of the environment and reestablishes homeostasis. People too often view stress as inherently harmful. Much of the stress experienced throughout a typical day is favorable, something termed eustress. While eustress also challenges homeostasis, people perceive eustress as a motivator and believe their response will lead to positive results. Eustress gets people out of bed in the morning, brings their best self to work, leads them to listen to an audiobook about HRV, and calls for them to be the best parents for their children. Eustress plays a central role in engaging people and getting the outcomes needed for a business to thrive. The goal of stress management is not to minimize stress. Instead, leaders need to create strategies to use the right amount of eustress to increase motivation, but also to address the job demands that result in unproductive and potentially dangerous stress.
This negative stress or distress occurs when the person cannot see the potential positive outcomes in a situation or feel that they do not possess the mental, financial, social, time, or other resources necessary to meet the challenge. The perception of the problem or event will determine whether they experience it as eustress or distress. If they do not find a way to manage distress, it will knock them out of homeostasis, leading to stress's negative emotional and physical consequences. Several variables profoundly influence the perception of distress. First, distress increases when the situation is unpredictable and the person feels they have little power to influence the potential negative outcome. Second, the negative consequences of distress increase if it persists for a long duration of time without the ability to eliminate the source of the distress. Third, if the outcome is important to them, they experience a higher level of distress. Things that people don't care about do not cause much stress. Every leader needs to pay close attention to these variables. Nothing characterizes the modern business environment more than uncertainty. Due to technology, people are working longer and longer hours without ever disconnecting. This connectivity increases the duration of time in the typical workday, week, and year. It also increases people's exposure to the distressful aspects of work. Importance is often the most challenging variable. Caring about the outcomes of work drives motivation. However, if there is a great deal of uncertainty and a long duration of stress, this same level of investment results in burnout. Throughout this audiobook, we will discuss strategies to manage these variables to minimize distress and increase eustress and motivation. As distress increases, heart rate usually increases and HRV decreases demonstrating a declining ability to maintain homeostasis. Allostatic load refers to increasing distress and the resulting declines in emotional regulation, physical energy, and cognitive functioning. When the cumulative allostatic load exceeds the ability to cope, the person experiences allostatic overload. Under extreme distress, allostatic overload becomes intense enough to create a trauma response. HRV also measures the body's ability to recover after a period of stress. Whether it is the stress put on the body from a hard workout, an argument with a loved one, or a tough day at work, HRV will show whether the stress continues to affect the body negatively or if it is bouncing back. The ability to handle the allostatic load, recover from hardship, or turn stress into motivation for success is a beautiful definition of resiliency. HRV provides a scientifically validated measure of resilience in the face of work and life challenges. Remember, the mathematical definition of HRV is the measurement of the differences between successive heartbeats over a set period. The tens of thousands of articles and books on HRV allow us to translate this science into a working definition. Throughout this audiobook, our definition of HRV is the person's ability to handle or recover from stress. While this might sound very basic, there is a surprising amount of research on using this biometric to measure cognitive, medical, mental, and social health and wellness. There is also a lot of research on practices that improve HRV and overall wellness and job performance. The Cause of Variation 
When someone experiences distress, their body immediately jumps into action to maintain or reestablish homeostasis. The nervous system evolved to unconsciously react to stress, providing the energy necessary to respond effectively. The nervous system contains bundles of nerves and specialized cells called neurons that transmit information throughout the body. The nervous system starts in the brain and moves down the spinal cord, eventually branching out to every part of the body. Most of the biological changes needed to maintain homeostasis occur unconsciously or automatically. The autonomic nervous system controls blood pressure, body temperature, heart rate, digestion, and heart rate variability. Its goal is to maintain homeostasis within the body and with the environment. Encompassing over 80% of the body's processes, the autonomic nervous system can use nearly the entire body to maintain homeostasis. The unconscious nature of the autonomic nervous system keeps the lungs breathing, heart beating, and body temperature regulated without any conscious effort. While the system's automatic and unconscious nature keeps people alive, it can also react to distress before they can thoroughly consider the consequences of the resulting behaviors. The autonomic nervous system sacrifices contemplation for immediate action, especially when people feel threatened or experience allostatic overload. One way the autonomic nervous system maintains homeostasis is through the cardiovascular system, in which the heart plays a central role. If the environment demands an active response, the autonomic nervous system increases the heart rate, providing the body with the blood and oxygen it needs to respond. Once the stress subsides, the autonomic nervous system slows the heart rate back to normal and allows the person to recover. Building on the working definition above, HRV measures the person's autonomic nervous system's ability to handle or recover from stress. Variation in heart rate manifests in the interaction of two parts of the autonomic nervous system, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. These two parts work together to promote survival and manage stress. Please see Figure 1 in the handout for a visual representation of the autonomic nervous system. Primarily located in the mid-spine region, the sympathetic nervous system mobilizes for action by providing energy through increased breathing and heart rate, as well as secreting hormones like adrenaline. When allostatic load is at a manageable level, the sympathetic nervous system provides the energy needed to succeed throughout the day. During highly stressful events, the sympathetic nervous system takes over, allowing the person to escape the danger quickly, known as the flight response, or to attack the source of stress, known as the fight response. These intense reactions provide a short-term energy burst by shifting energy typically used for mental processes and digestion to maximize the ability to escape or fight a stressor. The parasympathetic nervous system conserves energy and decreases heart rate. This audiobook will focus on the 10th cranial nerve, or vagus nerve, central to the parasympathetic nervous system. Vagus comes from the Greek for wandering or vagabond. The vagus nerve winds its way from the neck to the face, through the upper chest and heart, and down to the gut. Central to the parasympathetic nervous system, the vagus nerve helps regulate heart rate, blood pressure, body temperature, digestion, immunity, respiration, and reproduction. Cranial nerves start in the brainstem, located at the very bottom of the brain. 
The vagus nerve has two branches arising from separate brainstem nuclei. The ventral vagus winds its way through the upper part of the body, specifically near the heart, lungs, throat, middle ear, and face. The ventral vagus is highly active when someone feels safe and in homeostasis. It promotes emotional regulation, calm, and the ability to engage with other people socially. Under extreme stress, especially when the options of flight or fight are not available, the dorsal branch of the vagus nerve, or the dorsal vagus, takes over. Located primarily in the gut, the dorsal vagus starts to put the body in a low-energy state, referred to as the freeze or shutdown response. During this response, heart rate, breathing, and mental processing all slow dramatically. The fight, flight, and freeze responses are extreme autonomic nervous system reactions to distress. The sympathetic nervous system and the vagus nerve are also active when someone is in homeostasis. The sympathetic vagus dance, often termed vagal tone, creates the variation in heart rate measured by HRV. In this dance, the ventral vagus slows sympathetic activation, which is known as the vagal break. On the inhalation, the ventral vagus releases its break on the sympathetic nervous system and allows the heart rate to go up. On the exhalation, the break comes back on and the heart rate goes down. Sympathetic activation is a normal reaction to short-term distress. Unfortunately, long-term chronic distress increases baseline sympathetic activation and weakens the vagal break. Over time, an over-reliance on the sympathetic response leads to anxiety-related disorders such as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, phobias, and generalized anxiety. Chronic stress and difficulty maintaining homeostasis might also lead to increased dorsal vagal activation. It is almost as if the nervous system recognizes the overload and, in the absence of conscious action to take a much-needed break, forces the body to slow down and take a break that way. As a result, the vagal nerve prevents adequate sympathetic activation, slowing the heart rate and decreasing the ability to take needed action. Long-term increased dorsal vagal functioning can manifest as depression, feelings of stagnation, and relationship. A healthy autonomic nervous system relies upon a rhythmic dance between the sympathetic nervous system and the ventral vagus. When distress and burnout disrupt this harmony, the consequences are dire. As the autonomic nervous system struggles to maintain homeostasis, it begins to over-rely on either the sympathetic nervous system or the dorsal vagus. Over time, this imbalance increases the risk for mental, physical, social, and cognitive issues that can significantly impact health and productivity. HRV and Medical Health This audiobook focuses primarily on the role of cognitive, emotional, and relational health on business outcomes. HRV provides a quantifiable measure of these aspects of success. While not the main focus of this audiobook, HRV also measures medical health. A chronically sick person will struggle to perform at continuously high levels for the business, costing the business money when it comes to loss of productivity, insurance costs, and absenteeism. This section will review the science on the connection between the vagus nerve, HRV, and medical health. 
A healthy autonomic nervous system and strong vagal break promote a healthy immune system. One of the powerful weapons available to the immune system is a class of proteins called cytokines. If someone cuts themselves, cytokines are released and rush to the cut, creating inflammation which helps stop the bleeding. Similarly, when a virus or infection is present in the body, cytokines go to work fighting off the disease. Increased sympathetic activation as a reaction to distress or burnout also releases cytokines. The body releases cytokines to limit the impact of any injury that might result. While a sound survival strategy in the short term, over time, increased anxiety weakens the vagal break, resulting in a constant release of cytokines. Too many cytokines in the body cause inflammation of the gut and brain. Because the gut plays an essential role in immune function, inflammation inhibits an effective immune response. Inflammation in the gut also results in leaky gut syndrome. Leaky gut syndrome is an accurate description of this terrible condition. Inflammation causes cracks in the intestines. Waste in the intestines leaks into the body, creating various digestive and immune problems, including celiac disease, Crohn's disease, and irritable bowel syndrome. Besides the pain and discomfort caused by inflammation in the gut, the brain also inflames. Research is starting to demonstrate the connection of brain inflammation to a range of mental illnesses. Chronic distress and burnout can destroy psychological and medical health. Negative trends in HRV correlate with many disease risk factors, including hypertension, obesity, glucose intolerance, insulin sensitivity, and inflammation as a measure of immune functioning. Not surprisingly, significant drops in HRV correlate with 9 out of the 10 leading causes of death in the United States. These include heart disease, cancer, respiratory disease, stroke, Alzheimer's disease, diabetes, influenza and pneumonia, kidney disease, and intentional self-harm, suicide. The only cause of death not correlated with a drop in HRV is automobile accidents. Some auto manufacturers started embedding HRV monitors in their seats. Since many accidents result from tired and stressed driving, this cause of death might soon get added to the list. The Brain, HRV, and the Autonomic Nervous System The brain physically and developmentally sits on top of the nervous system. While algorithms translate EKG information into a simple HRV score, this score reflects the cognitive capacity and emotional regulation of a complex brain. It is essential to understand how the brain and nervous system process information and distress and maintain homeostasis to better understand the information contained within an HRV score. The human brain evolved to keep us alive and safe from danger. While some people are lucky enough to experience little threat to life or safety in a typical week, Ancient people evolved in a much more dangerous time. Through millions of years of human evolution, humans got very good at neuroception, which refers to the primarily unconscious process of determining whether the environment is safe or dangerous. Neuroception incorporates the tremendous amounts of environmental information that the senses send to the brain. Around 80% of the nerve fibers connecting the brain to the rest of the body are afferent. 
Afferent nerves send information from the body to the brain, while efferent nerves send information from the brain to the rest of the body. Figure 2 in the handouts maps out the different areas of the brain described in this section. The connection between the brain and the rest of the body occurs in the brainstem. The brainstem is often viewed as primitive and instinctual and gets animalistic labels like reptilian brain. However, like most other brain areas, the more science learns about the brain stem, the more exciting and meaningful it becomes to our overall health and functioning. The brain stem plays a central role in neuroception. As part of the autonomic nervous system and the origin point for the vagus nerve, the brain stem processes afferent information to maintain homeostasis. Much of the afferent sessory information passes through the brainstem to one of the central parts of the brain called the thalamus. The thalamus facilitates an interactive process among the brain's cognitive, emotional, and sensory motor centers to decide which of two distinct systems, termed the high road and the low road, will handle the stimulus. If the neuroception determines that the stimulus is not a threat and the environment is safe, the thalamus directs the information to the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is part of the larger cortex, which is the wrinkled outer layer of the brain. It hosts a considerable number of essential functions and features. We will use the term high road to describe a stimulus processed by the cortex and prefrontal cortex since they physically sit higher in the brain and manage more complex or higher functions. The cortex provides meaning to stimuli by processing them through the lens of past experiences and related memories. If you have learned anything about the brain, your cortex is doing this right now. The information you are reading is being sent through your cortex and interpreted through the lens of your existing knowledge on the subject. Toward the front of the head lies the prefrontal cortex, which is primarily responsible for making humans great thinkers and planners. The prefrontal cortex is central to executive functioning, meaning it plays a significant role in managing reasoning, flexible problem-solving, planning, memory, and aspects of emotional regulation. The prefrontal cortex and vagal nerve operate as partners. Typically, increased prefrontal cortex activation responds to vagus nerve activation and a robust vagal break. As a later stop on the high road, the amygdala, in collaboration with the hippocampus and brainstem, provides the emotional context for the stimulus. Emotions and feelings for things and people create a more profound experience of the world around us. High road emotions play essential roles in motivation and mental health. A quick note about high road functioning. The above description demonstrates the process in slow motion. In the time it took you to listen to the previous paragraphs, your high road has consistently been at work processing each word as well as anything else going on in your environment. In this brief time, billions of high road journeys occurred. Also, the high road takes up a tremendous amount of energy. While the brain only accounts for about 2% of overall body weight, it uses 20 to 25% of the oxygen and energy derived from food to maintain executive functioning. The allostatic load can build gradually when the high road starts to experience distress in the environment. As allostatic load threatens homeostasis, the prefrontal cortex can recognize the distress and implement coping skills. 
These coping skills decrease distress, reestablish homeostasis, and maintain executive functioning. If increasing distress is not consciously managed or overwhelms available coping skills, the amygdala starts to activate the hypothalamus, pituitary gland, and adrenal glands, also known as the HPA axis. The sympathetic nervous system kicks into action with the HPA axis moving energy to the mid-spine area. Under distress, the HPA axis and sympathetic nervous system release the stress hormone cortisol. If distress continues to build, the adrenal glands release adrenaline as well to even further intensify the stress response. Cortisol and adrenaline shorten the breath, increase blood pressure, and decrease HRV. The person is ready for action in this state as energy shifts from executive functioning to the arms and legs. The drop in HRV demonstrates a decreasing capacity for cognitive functioning and social engagement. Let's connect the above information on the high road in the brain with what we learned about the sympathetic nervous system and vagus nerve. The journey from the brain into the body begins at the brain stem. When neuroception senses safety, both the prefrontal cortex and ventral vagus become highly active. The brain applies executive functioning to the environmental situation, while the ventral vagus supports social engagement by activating facial muscles crucial to effectively communicating with others. The ventral vagus also applies the vagal break to the sympathetic system, keeping the fight-flight response and anxiety at bay. The strong vagal break on the high road manifests in higher HRV. The high road label also works for autonomic nervous system functions. The ventral vagus functions are primarily above the sympathetic nervous system in the mid-spine, and the dorsal vagus functions are mostly lower in the gut. As the allostatic load builds, the vagal break weakens and activation moves from the prefrontal cortex and ventral vagus to the mid-spine. The HPA axis and sympathetic activation prepare the person for a flight-then-fight response. If the sympathetic response does not return a neuroception of safety, the activation moves down to the gut for the shutdown or freeze response. A simple analogy for the nervous system is a ladder. When neuroception perceives safety, the person is at the top of the ladder corresponding with the prefrontal cortex and ventral vagal activation. As allostatic load builds, activation moves down the ladder, first to the flight rung, then to the fight rung, and finally to the freeze rung. As danger subsides, they move back up the ladder. Distress is processed on the high road if not associated with an immediate danger through neuroception. While the high road can still activate flight, fight, and freeze responses, if the person experiences allostatic overload, it is slower. The high road provides opportunities for the prefrontal cortex to bring the growing distress into consciousness and apply coping skills to maintain executive and ventral vagal activation. When neuroception detects extreme and immediate danger, the high road shuts down instantaneously and a much shorter road activates to increase the chance for survival. While the amygdala sits toward the end of the high road, it plays a leading role on the low road. Instead of a gradual release of stress hormones, the amygdala immediately drops the person out of executive and ventral vagal activation. It moves down the ladder to the sympathetic nervous system. 
The sympathetic nervous system floods the body with cortisol and adrenaline, activating the flight and, if needed, fight response. In most situations, sympathetic activation will continue until the threat has passed and can lead to unusual strength and stamina levels. Sympathetic reactions lack executive functioning, as systems such as the prefrontal cortex cease to receive energy, thus maximizing the energy sent to the muscles and senses. If the flight or fight responses fail, the last option is to shut down. The dorsal vagus slows breathing and heart rate, and HRV decreases. During an intense shutdown or freeze response, the person can disassociate or lose connection to reality. This response limits the amount of physical or psychological pain felt during traumatic events, but makes recalling or making sense of the experience afterward tricky or impossible. The third survival response, shutting down, might become the default response of people who feel trapped and struggle to escape the danger. They have little physical, social, or economic opportunity or power to flee or fight back in these situations. The only way they endure is by shutting down, and in extreme cases, disassociating from the situation to survive physically and psychologically. Let's examine one last part of the brain that is essential in both high and low roads. On the low road, the hippocampus takes on a calming role. Once neuroception senses that the threat no longer exists, the hippocampus helps quiet the amygdala, allowing the high road to reactivate and cognitive and social functioning return. A well-functioning hippocampus makes it possible to have a brief low-short road response, including fear or anger, but it does not allow these emotions to continue well into the future. As part of the high road, the hippocampus works with the amygdala to provide an emotional context to the stimulus. Also, the hippocampus plays a significant role in creating new memories. The nervous system and the mind it supports are complex. HRV measures all this complexity and summarizes it in a simple score. High HRV means people are doing a good job handling stress and are ready to bring their best emotional and cognitive selves to work. A low score means they are performing suboptimally within relationships and on intellectual challenges. Window of Tolerance the science of the brain and autonomic nervous system helps people grasp what HRV measures. The complexity of these systems sometimes makes it challenging to translate the science into everyday practical conversations about wellness and burnout. The cup analogy is another way to view the interaction between the high road and the low road and introduces the concept of the window of tolerance. When people are on the high road in their brain and autonomic nervous system, they effectively manage their allostatic load. They are said to be inside their window of tolerance. They will exhibit behaviors related to the executive functions of the prefrontal cortex and the social engagement and emotional regulation of the ventral vagus. To simplify the complexity of neuroscience and bring the window of tolerance to life, we developed a simple cup analogy to help people understand how distress affects thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. The cup analogy has two parts. The first is the size of the cup. The bigger the size of the cup, the more resilient someone is to the effects of distress and the more stress it takes to go into allostatic overload. 
Factors such as healthy work culture, self-confidence, strong personal relationships, practicing mindfulness, healthy eating, and exercise increase the size of our cup. Conversely, long-term distress from burnout, financial struggles, a bad work environment, illnesses, and unhealthy relationships decrease the size of the cup. As a representation of the health of the autonomic nervous system, a large cup to manage stress will result in high HRV. Typically, the capacity of the cup stays consistent over time if we do not experience significant life changes. The exception to this rule is trauma. The overwhelming nature of trauma reduces capacity quickly, and if healing does not occur, it can keep capacity low over long periods of time. When people go through trauma at work, such as layoffs, bullying, harassment, or violence, leaders must ensure their employees get the support they need to recover or risk long-term decreases in cognitive performance and emotional stability. It is just as important to support people who experience trauma in their personal life. Helping people heal from trauma is the right thing to do and an intelligent business decision. Someone carrying around the pain and suffering of trauma will struggle emotionally and cognitively until they get the help they need to heal. A business's investments in employee assistance programs that provide mental health services to help people address trauma, burnout, and other struggles are an investment in the resiliency and performance of their people. The good news is that, if trauma heals, it results in increased self-confidence, resiliency, cognitive capacity, relational health, and higher HRV. The size of the cup represents traits associated with resiliency and robustness. Resiliency is a person's ability to recover from hardship. Robustness speaks to their ability to bring the energy they need to succeed in life. HRV scores measure the ability to recover from distress and the available energy for the day's challenges and activities. HRV helps translate cup size to an objective measure. Comparing a person's 30-day HRV average to population norms provides insight into their resiliency based on others in their demographics. They can then compare their 30-day average to their overall average to determine whether their cups have increased or decreased in size. The second component of this analogy concerns the water in the cup. The water represents the amount of stress or cortisol in the body at any given time. As a measure of the effects of distress and allostatic load, HRV helps bring this analogy to life. Taking an HRV reading and comparing the score to a 30-day or longer average helps show how much water is in someone's cup. A significantly lower HRV score versus these averages shows that their cup is filling up. This drop in HRV demonstrates their mind and body's struggle to maintain homeostasis in the face of distress and their risk of going into allostatic overload. Ideally, when their cups start to fill, as measured by decreases in HRV, they realize that stress is building and apply coping skills like deep breathing, exercise, getting into nature, or talking to someone about their distress. Initially, the distress increases heart rate and decreases HRV as the water fills the cup. Then, as they apply a coping skill, heart rate and HRV return to normal levels. 
During stressful times, an HRV reading provides insight into the mind and body's resiliency to distress in the environment. The space between the top of someone's cup and the water level represents the window of tolerance. When someone has adequate space between the water level in the cup and the top, they are in their window of tolerance. Thinking and behavior are motivated, adaptive, safe, social, energized, and stable, indicated by the acronym MASSES. If MASSES describes a person's state, it is a strong indication that they are successfully managing allostatic load. When the allostatic load increases and starts to fill up their cup's capacity, people's actions become more rigid or chaotic. These responses are an effort to control the stressful situation before going into crisis. Some people react to stress by over-organizing and managing their world, which indicates a rigid response. When in a rigid state, people might start bossing people around or putting unrealistic expectations on themselves or others. They might also feel great anxiety or sadness when things get frustrating and do not go exactly how they want them to go. Another rigid response is obsessing or ruminating over something, even if it is not that important. When people are rigid, it is hard to think creatively, and they often automatically rely on behaviors used in the past, even if they have had negative consequences. Leaders need to pay extra attention to their rigidity. Due to their power, when a leader's cup starts to fill, they often begin to micromanage the processes and people they oversee. This rigid response shuts down creativity and innovation. As people become frustrated and anxious about their leader's rigid micromanaging, their cups start to fill up, negatively impacting their performance and morale. The nature of the chaos response serves to create distance between the person and the cause of the distress filling up their cup. They often achieve this distance by yelling, threatening, or using intimidating behaviors or words. When a leader's behaviors become chaotic, it destroys trust and psychological safety, a term we'll explore later. Their people shift their focus from performing for the business to strategizing on keeping themselves away from a chaotic leader. Even though they are just trying to get space, others experience the behavior as frustrating, counterproductive, and disrespectful. If distress challenges the cup's capacity, the person experiences allostatic overload. Now in a crisis, they operate in the sympathetic survival mode of flight, and if they cannot run away, they shift into the fight response. If they cannot escape or fight the cause of distress, the cup overflows and collapses in on itself. The result is the dorsal vagal freeze response. People develop behaviors and strategies to survive and thrive in their work and business environments. Unfortunately, too many people live on the edge of their window of tolerance, learning to rely on rigid, chaotic, flight, fight, and freeze behaviors to survive their reality. Short-term HRV measures help track distress's impact in the present moment. Long-term HRV improvements demonstrate increased cup capacity, which should translate into motivation, adaptation, safe behavior, social engagement, energy, and stability all of which help them succeed.